Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. Of course, news is very important to us, but we also bring you expert insight and analysis on all the issues of world football that you want to hear and debate. Today, Wednesday edition is, of course, your questions answered, where we love to engage with you guys all our lovely listeners, and get your questions and hopefully bring you some insight on the things that matter to you most. As always, uh, Dr. Duncan Castles, the transfer guru, joins me, Ian McGarry. And as usual, Duncan's got some news for us to start the show off. Yeah, let's talk through the Romelu Lukaku situation. We've seen Roberto Martin, who's given an interview in Belgium, basically underlining uh, that Lukaku has to move. It's um, another version of the of your fight force your transfer through which is the player says he wants to move out of a club his agent says he wants to move out of the club and then you get the international manager to say it would be in his best interest to move and what Martinez has said is it's clear that he has to leave Manchester United it would be a good thing for both parties uh, and Romelu Lukaku has to find himself a new club so uh, that's another uh, way of putting the story in the headlines. We've told you um, some time ago that uh, Antonio Conte wants to bring Lukaku to Internazionale, his new club with him. Uh, the pair share an agent, which always makes these things easier. Um, the complication, of course, is the money involved. How do you uh, manage to get the player out of Manchester United for a reasonable price? Um, and how do you cover his wages? On top of that, they have an issue with the players they have at Inter. So uh, Inter's leading scorer is uh, Mauro Icardi. He scored 111 goals in 188 Serie A games, 26-year-old Argentinian. Um, But Antonio Conte does not want him in the squad. He wants him out. Um, Beppe Marotta, the chief executive at Inter, um, who brought Conte to the club, chose him ahead of other options, with Jose Mourinho being the most prominent of those, has made it clear that he wants Icardi out too. He has been proposing to Juventus a deal in which Icardi goes to Juventus and Paolo Dybala comes to Inter, which is something Conte would like. Conti's ideal structure would be to have Lukaku and Edin Zeko, who they're trying to sign from Roma, as his two um, powerful forwards. And then uh, Dybala, if he can get him from Juventus, and Lautaro Martinez, a 21-year-old Argentine who's already entered as the two um, quicker, more creative forwards in his lineup. However... That requires a lot of transfer deals to go in place. It requires a lot of players to make decisions in Inter's favour. Lukaku is an easy one in the sense that the player wants to come and has said he wants to go to Serie A, but difficult in terms of matching the transfer fee that uh, Manchester United want for him. They'd want, they've, they've been briefing that they want to return on the money uh, they paid to Everton two years ago. Um, Dybala I'm told is not convinced that uh, Inter is the right place for him to move. Um, He would have wanted to leave Juventus had uh, Max Allegri remained as manager but Juventus sacked him. Sarri is coming in. Um, I'm told he wants to see what Sarri's plans are for the team and if he is to move he would prefer to move to one of the to another league um, outside Italy and to one of the biggest clubs in Europe. Um, Ian, you told us uh, some time ago that Manchester United have an interest there. Uh, maybe you can tell us if that if that's developed and whether you think uh, Dybala um, remains an option for United and, a, and, a, and an option for Juventus in terms of getting him out of the club. Well, Dybala is still on um, United's shortlist, that's for sure. Uh, it was held up in terms of the deal because what we reported was that United had indicated to Juventus that they were willing to meet the buyout clause of Dybala. That was before, of course, Allegri's future was decided. And in between, um, Dybala himself said he didn't want to make any rash decisions based on not knowing who the coach, incoming coach would be, etc. Et so now obviously that's been cleared up, but the Copa America is now getting in the way of that particular negotiation. Uh, Dybala himself, as, as we've said, would have preferred Real Madrid 
who've now signed Aiden Hazard, so that looks highly, highly unlikely he'll be going there. Obviously, it would be impossible to go to Barcelona now. So Manchester United would be probably his only option in terms of the elite clubs that you mentioned, uh, Duncan. I find the Inter uh, sort of ambition very impressive, but I think also almost impossible to fulfil. I mean, obviously, they'll want to please Conte coming in as manager. He's a man who likes to be pleased. But for to do all those deals um, would be very expensive and also very difficult. I can, um, I can see the... Uh, the corridor of the hotel Grand uh, the Grand Hotel Brun, which is the, uh, <laughs> the the uh, the venue of choice for transfer dealings in Milan, short walk from the San Siro, the sensational tortellini there, and uh, that's normally where those deals get done. So I can see them the uh, the uh, people the, the Grand Hotel Brun having quite a, a busy summer themselves in terms of providing the uh, the catering. I think I think Icardi is a particular problem for them. Um, he's uh, a notoriously difficult personality. He's a player who who married um, his one of his teammates' wife earlier in his career. Um, you can imagine the, uh, the the dressing room issues. To that be fair, brought it Duncan, he, at least he made an honest woman there, unlike some people. <laughs> I, I wonder who you're referring to there. But uh, Icardi, um, I think, uh, from what I hear from uh, the Italian end, is the kind of player who will make it very difficult. Um, for him to be shoved out of the club if the if the the move that Inter are proposing to him is one that doesn't appeal to him as the kind of player who will try to take uh, a maximum financial advantage from such a move. So, uh, which of course adds to the complications Inter have in satisfying all those demands Conte has. And, and as we know from Conte's time in Chelsea, he is a, a coach who. Um, can be extremely insistent uh, about the players he wants and he feels are fundamental to succeeding with a team. With Chelsea, it was all about trying to win the Champions League, which is his great aim. Um, he wants to demonstrate uh, to the world that he is as good a coach as he believes he is by winning the Champions League. At, Italy, at Inter, I think it's more a case of um, get the team strong enough so he can depose Juventus uh, from the, the, the Serie A title for the first time in um, it would be nine years um, before having that assault in the Champions League. But you can be assured that Conte will not be easy for Inter to deal with. He does have that ally on his side in the sense that Marotta brought him in um, basically against the, the, the preferences of the owners who were very keen to hire Mourinho because of his popularity with the, the Inter fans, but because they had promised Marotta first choice of the next coach of Inter, have allowed him his head there. And, and that tells you then that Marotta has a, has a lot invested in Conte succeeding. So um, some very interesting politics and dynamics there. And, and, you know, the difficult side for Manchester United is that they are kind of on the wrong end of this in that Lula Gunnar Solskjaer has made it clear that Romelu Lukaku is not his first choice at centre-forward. Um, Lukaku has known that for a long time. He was telling teammates um, not that long after Solskjaer had been installed as the the um, caretaker manager of the club and, and Solskjaer immediately started picking Marcus Rashford ahead of him. He was telling teammates then that he didn't have a problem with Solskjaer as manager, but uh, he would not he could not go for another season in which he was second choice striker. If he wasn't going to get proper game time, then he would have to uh, look to to take his career elsewhere. So what you can see from that is the players made a decision he, he wants to get out. Solskjaer, I don't think, is, has changed his thinking on Lukaku and his preference would be to sell the player and get a replacement who's more suited to the kind of game plan he wants put in place. Um, but You've got to get the money right, and uh, you've got to you've got to get the the scenario with the player correct that he'll accept the move to Inter, um, and that leaves Manchester United waiting on on Inter deciding a price, um, uh, guaranteeing them the money they want. And remember, in all of this, Manchester United have a, an earlier deadline to deal with than Inter. So Inter can go deep into August in terms of buying players if they ultimately decide Lukaku isn't the perfect option 
um, for them, they can go down another line. If they take Lukaku, they could wait also to the 23rd. But Manchester United will need that done before their own transfer deadline of the 8th of August so that they can get a replacement in if they're going to be sure about the cash and sure about uh, the wage bill being cleared. So it's complicated and, um, you know, underlines where the problems, one of the, the big problems Manchester United have is that three of their star players, Pogba, Lukaku, David De Gea, all discontented at the club, all um, looking at, at leaving at present. And Manchester United saying they want to retain De Gea, saying they want to retain Pogba, but in the background making moves to um, put replacements in place for those players. Well, Duncan, people must think you've done this before because you provided the perfect segue into the first question, which comes from Tunsmond at Tunsmond for Real. And he says, do you think Pogba would be sold or Solskjaer would convince him to stay and build the team around him? Plus, and this is a quite interesting one, what's your take on Bruno Fernandes to United? Cheers. <laughs> well, we talked about Pogba a lot in the Monday podcast. Um I don't think there's a definite answer here. What I can say is that Real Madrid are confident that they can get the player. Uh, they have been for a while. They will make offers to Manchester United financially and they will offer Manchester United their players, some of their players, in exchange for Pogba. They know the player wants to come. They know the agent wants to make it happen. Uh, I think they're counting on Pogba forcing his way out so that they can get an agreement with Manchester United. Um, as we've said, Manchester United have been making um, uh, contingency plans for Pogba leaving. They're briefing that they will not sell him under any circumstances. But similarly, there is, a, there is noises coming from uh, people close to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he's not particularly happy with Pogba and he understands why the previous manager had problems with him. So while he recognises his qualities as, as a player, I don't think the manager there has quite the same insistence that Pogba should be retained as Ed Woodward would have about Pogba. Um, the, you know, the commercial value of the player isn't important to Solskjaer, what he needs, and he knows this badly, what he needs is a functioning team on the field because if his results carry on the way they did at the end of last season, um, he won't survive uh, into a, a third uh, season at Manchester United. So um, if, you, if you ask me now what my expectation is, I would say I would expect Paul Pogba to leave, but I wouldn't be prepared to put any of my own money on that transaction. Bruno Fernandes is, a, is an interesting one. Um, we've heard a lot, we've seen a lot of stories saying that deals were about to be done um, with two Premier League clubs. Um, Manchester City were supposed to sign them. Um, last month and we've seen several reports that Manchester United have been on the verge of signing him. He's also been uh, strongly linked with Tottenham. He's been strongly linked with Liverpool. Um, actually, what's going on in the background there is that Sporting want to sell the player. Uh, they're already counting on him being at another club uh, for next season and taking the substantial transfer fee they expect um, to raise for them. And, the, and what they'd like to get is, the, is a figure, around the figure you'll have seen in those reports, 55 million euros, 60 million euros is the, is the figure they're putting out. Um, Fernandez is represented by a family member. Um, he really doesn't have the, the power of, uh, of a top agent uh, finding a deal for him. I'm told he he has been uh, bringing um, some of the, the more senior agents in football into uh, the deal, offering them mandates to sell uh, the player to one of the top clubs. I'm told Pini Zahavi has been offered a mandate. I'm also told that in England, the Stellar Agency have been offered a mandate um, with the hope that they can use their contacts and influence and power to secure uh, a deal. The word in Portugal is that he does not have a significant offer from any of the large clubs as yet. Um, so Will he end up at Manchester United? I think there's an interest there. I think he's on the list, but it's nowhere near as close as people have been reporting. As we said on Monday, um, Yuri Tielemans is uh, an option 
for Manchester United. Uh, there have been conversations between uh, the club and his representatives, and Telemans has been told that he is their first option should Paul Pogba leave the club. Um, Ian, you told us about James Madison uh, several weeks ago and the approach to, to him. Uh, can you update us on where that stands? Yes, well, <clears throat> in fact, Duncan, we do have a question uh, from Anthony O.C. on this particular uh, matter, obviously listening to us a weeks ago. Uh, Anthony says, has there been any progress regarding the for James Madison to Manchester United? Also, Matthias De Ligt still a target with the possibility of the club making two centre-back signings. So the latest, Anthony, uh, on uh, Madison is that he's with, I'm sure, as you know, the under-21 squad are playing in the, the European Championships in Italy uh, with England. Uh, Madison's a very um, considered, intelligent young man who um, cares much more for his career than he does about um, money and standing and you know getting to a club that's going to give him some kind of platform, but, but not backing it up with playing time. This, this guy, I think he started 36 of last of 38 league games last season for Leicester City. He had the most um, chances created in the Premier League above any player, 100 exactly, uh, also with uh, impressive assists and goals as well. So he has basically told his representatives who are talking to Manchester United, um, I want to be left alone to focus on England uh, during the next couple of weeks of the European Championships. However, please uh, tell Manchester United that I would like to meet with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and see him face to face and ask him what my role would be, what my influence would be in terms of how much game time I would have and where he would be playing me in terms of position as well as who I would expect to be playing with. Obviously, there being so much uh, speculation and um, sort of, uh, I guess, talk about Paul Pogba leaving and who would be coming in as well. So. Madison himself, um, as I said, I think he's um, he's considering it clearly. Uh, it would obviously be a huge step up for him after only one season in the Premier League. However, as I said, he does not want to move to a club where he will be deprived of the kind of game time that he had at Leicester City. And I think at 21 years of age, uh, he's quite happy to wait for a move rather than force anything through now uh, just in order to get himself a move to a bigger club. Now, Duncan Delict has been a, a it's becoming a bit of a saga in terms of where he's going. Um, do you think that there is interest from United, or do you think that's just you know not going to happen? Well, before we go to Delict, let's add a couple of other midfield targets for Manchester United. Yeah, sure. There are so many. Um, Ivan Rakitic. We broke the story of Manchester United's approach to Rakitic. That remains ongoing. They're trying to convince the player to come. Um, he has major reservations about leaving Barcelona and would prefer to stay there. So that's proving difficult for United. And then there's the the Sean Longstaff um, option, um, which is the the young talent midfielder at Newcastle United that some people in Manchester United scouting staff think is going to develop in, into a top. Um, English midfielder and uh, would like to sign this summer. So that's some of the names United are looking at, and uh, you can certainly can't accuse them of not um, of not spreading their nets wide in this um, this pursuit of new midfielders for next season. It's more uh, machine delay. gun than uh, shotgun, isn't it, Duncan? <laughs> it, it is a bit, yeah, and uh, and they're not actually um, hitting the targets. Yeah, maybe, <clears throat> maybe the Glazers got out of license. <laughs> uh, they talked to Mino Raiola um, I think basically they were used by Mino Raiola as a way of trying to increase Delict's salary offer at Barcelona um, there have been stories that, uh, that Raiola was trying to persuade Delict to go to Manchester United on the basis that he could be the, the, the messiah arriving at Old Trafford who would fix the defence and who they'd build um, a team around and return them to Champions League football and Premier League football and and you know he could go down go to Barcelona a few years later having established his worth there. Manchester United have been telling people privately that they are no longer interested in De Ligt and will not do that deal. I think they'd be they're aware that they've been used in that in that um, transaction because it would be let's face it, a very good signing for them if they could secure a player of that quality. But realistically, um, 
are they able to uh, offer the Ligt a better option in terms of a, a better sporting option than Barcelona or Paris Saint-Germain who uh, have advanced things significantly with the player no they're not um, so I, I do not expect the Ligt to go there and, and the briefing from United is that he, he won't be going there um, Harry Maguire remains uh, of great interest to him and that is a deal they can do uh, Brendan Rodgers would be happy to sell the player for the kind of transfer fee that is being mentioned um, £80 million is the, the price tag which would make Harry Maguire the most expensive defender in the history of world football and I think that should tell you why that would be a very strange deal for Manchester United to do although I would absolutely not rule them out making that move Um Anyone else we need to talk about? Well, there has been an inquiry. I'm I'm told there's definitely been an inquiry, not a bit, but an inquiry to West Ham for Issa Diop, who West Ham bought for €22 million last summer. And um, West Ham's reply was, uh, and this is quite typical of West Ham and and the the hierarchy there, well, if you make it 60, we'll probably sell them. Uh, And I'm thinking, well, I'm sure you would if you made that kind of profit after one season. It's like... um, yeah, <clears throat> the owners of West Ham sitting in East End Pie and Mass shop and they're being offered, you know, pie and liquor and uh, saying, well, if you bring us lobster thermidor, we'd think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's also my information from uh, someone who works uh, with West Ham United and transfers is that the player job is available, but the asking price is £60 million. Pounds. Um, which would be a very significant profit for them and uh, would be quite amusing if Manchester United went there because uh, if you remember when United lost at West Ham United last season, uh, Jose Mourinho went into the press conference and uh, specifically applauded the performance of Jop and uh, and applauded the scouting system at West Ham United for, for finding him for such a low price. So... Well, Diop, to be fair, had uh, an incredible, I think he had 84 tackles, like successful completion, and I think 63 blocks, which is by far the most in, in at West Ham. But I think he was rated in the top three in the Premier League as well. So um, in terms of stats, and we know how clubs love data analysis, Duncan, um, Diop does stand out. What about this question? If you were to choose Manchester United centre-back and you had to choose between De Ligt, Diop, and Harry Maguire, who would you go for? I would avoid Harry Maguire at all costs. Um, I, I do not... I was talking to someone um, overseas the other day about Harry Maguire and the, and the price that's been placed on him. And, uh, and uh, he was talking, yeah, we over a year we just do not understand the, uh, the mystery that is England's fascination with, with Harry Maguire. And, and I think that that's the that's the problem here. He is a player who looks, I think, better than he actually is because he's comfortable on the ball. He passes the ball well, which always looks nice in a centre back. And he goes occasionally on on forties up the field. He'll score goals from set pieces, all great things. Um, but he's not very quick, uh, and I'm not sure how good he actually is in, in some of the basic attributes of defending. Yes, he's great at aerial balls but if, you, if you're at Manchester United and you're talking about spending £80 million or let's say they, they get for what they consider to be a reasonable price, £60 million for example for, for Harry Maguire you need to be buying there a player who will solve your defensive problems. You need to be buying a player who justifies the price tag, a price tag at that level, you know, one which would make him one of the most expensive defenders in the world. If they go to eighty, it will be the most expensive defender in the world. Um, any defender these days who struggles for pace in the modern game, especially if you're going to play the way Solskjaer wants to play, which is um, high press, put the other team under pressure, play with a high line. He's if you, don't, if you don't have the pace to play that way, you cannot make mistakes because every single mistake you make will turn into an opportunity for the opposition. You're not Virgil van Dijk. Virgil van Dijk can get away with making mistakes because he has the pace to recover them um, and, and get back and make a tackle on the player. If Harry Maguire makes a positional error, 
against a, a reasonably quick forward, the player's beyond them and it's a, it's a chance to score. So if you're choosing a defender with that kind of speed in the modern game, you better be sure he is a brilliant strategist, brilliant positionally, a great leader of the defence. In fact, he can do you know everything you'd expect from like a classical centre-back of of 10 uh, years ago, for example. I don't think Harry Maguire has that. So um, if I was Manchester United, I would stay well, well away from that transfer and try and identify someone perhaps like it's a job um, was when West Ham United bought him. So someone who was performing well overseas, uh, didn't have a ridiculously high price tag um, and but also had the the self-confidence to come into a team like Manchester United and, and perform well from the start. You know, that's a hard ask, but I think I'm sure there are better solutions out there than Harry Maguire. seems remarkable, Duncan, that a club with 50-plus scouts, including overseas, five heads of recruitment, didn't manage to identify the op, and West Ham did um, in the first place and got for £22 million. Although I do believe that United are now reaping the uh, the non-benefit of six years of transfer policy mismanagement and chaos because other clubs know they have to improve this season. They have to improve quickly. They have to uh, restore themselves in terms of uh, the Champions League. And, you know, I don't see there being a title challenge, but obviously that's got to be on the cards as well. So just think about what's happened in the last uh, week or so. They inquired about Arwin Basaka at Crystal Palace, quoted 50 million for a guy who's played 18 months in the Premier League. The inquiry about Issa Diop, who's played one year in the Premier League, quoted 60 million. The inquiry about Harry Maguire, who has never played at the top level except internationally, quoted 80 million. And so clubs like Leicester, West Ham, Crystal Palace, they're rubbing their hands when Manchester United come calling because they know Man United are desperate. And they're thinking, yeah, yeah, bring it on, make your offer, but better make sure it's a really expensive one because we know you need our player. Absolutely. I mean, you can forgive a scouting department for not spotting a player who's picked up for another Premier League team and not saying that he's the first choice. If they're as large as, as Manchester United is, he should, should be on the list. Um, but more importantly, if the, the scouting department is as good as it should be, given the money that's been spent putting it in place they should be able to come up with a better option than Harry Maguire for that goal. You know, that's, that, you don't need a multi-million pound scouting department to say who's the, uh, who's the best of the current English centre-backs that we can acquire because he's uh, playing for a club who will accept the transfer fee. OK, let's go for him. Well, here's another example, Duncan, um, which I found out just uh, in the last three or four days during conversations about the, this transfer window with, uh, with the chief executive. Um, and I was told, I can only take this person's word for it, that uh, he knew of a championship club, a top championship club, who made an inquiry for Daniel James at Swansea City um, before he joined Manchester United. And that club was quoted a fee of £7.5 million plus £1.5 million in add-ons. Manchester United paid 15 plus 5 in add-ons for him. That is an example of what we're talking about. Everyone knows United are desperate. Therefore, United are getting quoted double the price for everyone they're trying to get. Yeah. The bigger worry for me about Daniel James and, and Sean Longstaff is other top clubs don't want to sign them. I haven't been trying to sign them. It's, it's champion, it was championship clubs. Leeds United tried to get them in, in January, got close to doing that deal. Bottom end, um, Premier League clubs who were trying to sign Daniel James, Brighton and Hove Albion, were interested in the player before Manchester United came in. Um, there should be competition. If you're, if you're picking those young players who uh, you're paying substantial fees for, you know, there's an idea that £15 million is, is uh, monopoly money. It doesn't matter. It's just a, it's just a little cheap uh, deal that may come off or may not come off. That's still a substantial transfer fee um, in, the, in the global scale of things. If you're, if you're paying that amount of money for a, a player of that age who has not established himself at the top level of football. Your hope is, your expectation is he will become a top level footballer. Otherwise, why are you buying him? 
then there should be other significant football clubs in, a, in an environment in which so many clubs have fantastic scouting networks, are very careful about the recruitment, are, uh, there's so many clubs focused on exactly that age group of player um, and signing them at reasonable prices and turning them into players who then go for 60, 70, 80, 100 million euros within a season, two seasons. Um, that is a, a central strategy for so many clubs in football that you should be competing with those when you identify those players. So Daniel James should be on the radar of a club, for example, like Lille um, or Monaco who, or uh, Borussia Dortmund, a great example. Borussia Dortmund have, have been actively scouting in England uh, for younger players who they believe that they can take to Germany, put them on a Champions League stage, coach them well and turn them into... Uh, Christian Pulisic or Jadon Sancho um, who go for tens of millions. In Jadon Sancho's case, they're looking for over 100 million euros when they sell him. Um, they should be looking at those players as well and be competing with them for you. Then you know you're on the, on the right lines. I don't see Dortmund or Lille or Monaco or, or any of the top six um, in, in England having any interest in Daniel James. So either the scouts have, have really seen something there to be visionary um, and better at this than, than people who have got a long track record of being very good at it or they made an expensive mistake. Well, time will tell, but I suspect time will have to tell us very quickly because, of course, as Duncan mentioned earlier, the transfer window closes on the 8th of August at 5pm with kickoff in the Premier League starting at, on the Friday evening following that with Liverpool at home to Norwich City. Now we're trying to squeeze as much as we can because we do like to uh, engage and answer your questions. One from KJ6 at, I think I've got this right, Jaski Kladji. Uh, it's almost Giorgio Kinkladzi, that you mean it's former Manchester City legend. Um, and he's asked, how can Real Madrid spend all this money in a single transfer window? and still remain within the boundaries of FFP. Their player salaries have got to be astronomical. What's the difference between them, Duncan, and PSG or Manchester City? Well, the key thing, key difference between Real Madrid and, and, and the two state-owned clubs is that they make a lot more money. And uh, all their revenue is uh, from, let's say, natural sources, i.e. they... Um, it's from sponsors, it's from TV revenue, it's from fans. Uh, there, there's no, there's no uh, commercial tie-ups with uh, companies that are owned by the same people as the clubs. The last year uh, for the 17-18 season, they declared a revenue of three quarters of a billion uh, euros. So there's a lot of money coming into that, that club each year. Yes, their salaries are very high, but remember um, they took Cristiano Ronaldo off their books last summer. Uh, they planned to take Gareth Bale with his uh, 22 million euro net salary off their books. Um, whether they'll be able to do that is another matter. Um, I saw that his, uh, his representatives were uh, briefing again um, this week that Bale does not want to leave Real Madrid and he's happy to see out the duration of his contract. And um, uh, the word is that Gareth Bale told his teammates that if uh, if Madrid try and move him out, he will just quite happily um, sit and uh, not play football and play golf. Um, for did, the rest did you of see the, 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 sorry, Duncan, to interrupt, but did you see the photograph of him at Pebble Beach last week? Yeah, wonderfully, media? wonderfully timed. Apparently I'm put, that out, put that I'm out during Eden Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> put that one out during Eden Hazard's unveiling ceremony and did not go down well with the, uh, the Real Madrid supporters um, maybe maybe he was trolling them who knows but uh, <laughs> certainly certainly they have a serious problem there um, and yes Madrid are going to end up spending more than anyone in this window remember they haven't spent much in recent seasons um, so you're getting an accumulation of purchases um, forced into one summer window at present um, and also, they have a lot of sellable players. So, so Bale could be a problem because he doesn't want to, to leave. But if they take Bale off the books, um, say they manage to convince Manchester United who they have offered him to, to take Bale and maybe even um, 
take that as part of the transfer fee for Paul Pogba, then that helps with the Pogba deal and provides the, the salary to pay Pogba. Um, there's a large list of other players that they are um, offering to clubs around Europe and who, who they do have a market for. Um, and financial fair play, it's essentially about breaking even. So uh, if they can construct their books in a way that uh, they, they meet the, the break-even requirements of financial fair play and there's various things you can deduct uh, when you're doing those calculations, they'll be fine. Um, and also remember that these transfers, when they're done, they, so say the, the final transfer uh, fee bill comes to 500 million euros, um, that would not all be placed on their accounts in the current season. It would be amortised over the duration of the contract. So if all those players were signed in five-year deals, there would only be 100 million that would go on uh, Madrid's accounts for the the nineteen twenty season um, in terms of uh, transfer cost to them, and they could deduct whatever they make on sales, which should be substantial from that amount. So um, Madrid will have calculated this carefully. They have a lot more headroom to play with than uh, Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain. Manchester City, for example, declared uh, revenue of 500 million for the first time uh, in their their last accounts. Uh, And of course, there are significant questions over over the sourcing of that, uh, of much of that 500 million, because they have a very, very high percentage of commercial revenue, unnaturally high um, compared to other clubs in the Premier League. And of course, most of their main sponsors are from Abu Dhabi. You have the uh, UEFA investigation into whether they uh, misled UEFA on the the sourcing and the payments of those sponsorship deals in previous years. Um, They're a different category of club. They have different issues uh, and Madrid have more scope to to work uh, and do transfers with fairly and legally within the financial fair fair play regulations than basically any other club in in Europe. Well, that was a very thorough answer there from Duncan, as you'd expect. Um, And we have another question, which is not of the same theme, but interestingly does include um, a couple of Real Madrid players from DMAC. And he says, hi guys, question for you, fantastic pod. Now I should point out at this point that you have to include that um, little bit of uh, praise for us to get your question read out, although I wouldn't say it doesn't help. Why do so many clubs consider loans for top players, James Rodriguez, Higuain, Mbappe, and now maybe Bale? Why don't the parent clubs just sell them? Duncan, probably this is about wages, isn't it? It's about wages. It's about, um, I think, when you're talking about top players, it's about the cost of those players. So if you have someone like James Rodriguez, who was one of the, the biggest um, transfer fees in history when Real Madrid signed him, and he doesn't uh, bed down the way you expected him to do at Madrid, then you have to shift them on. But you can only shift them on um, if the one, if a club wants to pay the transfer fee, uh, wants to pay any transfer fee for the player and two you're only going to do it if the transfer fee you're being offered is acceptable so they probably could have sold Hamas uh, when they first loaned him out uh, but maybe for a loss of 30-40 million euros um, it makes more sense to loan the player get a very significant loan fee which you generally do if you if you loan a player of this nature just look at Gonzalo Higuain's loans out of Juventus in, in recent seasons um, take the wages off your books so you get the, the, the club that um, that takes the loan on to pay his wages in full and if he has a really good season then his value goes up so um, the next summer you can then decide well uh, he played really well at the club that he was on loan to. Maybe it's maybe he's ready to be reintegrated into the squad and we can get value for him. Or um, he played really well at the club he, he was loaned to. They now want to buy him. Uh, they didn't put an option to buy in the deal, so they have to negotiate us with us for the price. Uh, if they don't want to buy him, a competing club might want to buy him and we can make a profit that way. Um, so, so the calculation is quite often based on future expectations. 
uh, more than anything else. It's uh, not avoiding taking a loss at a particular time. Um, will he turn into the player we want in the future? Would we be able to make more profit by uh, putting him out at a club and, and allowing his value into to increase, therefore, we'll do that. Uh, you often see options to buy written in, into these deals, which gives the, the the club that is borrowing the player a, a kind of security um, if the player does very well that they don't lose him again, because that can be embarrassing. If you if you sign a significant player on loan, he becomes a star for you. Uh, his value does increase, and uh, and then you can't afford to to sign him. So you you'll have a quite often you'll have a defined. Uh, clause. You also have loans which aren't really loans. Um, Killian Mbappe would be the, the cardinal example here. So the what you're really doing is transferring the player, but the club who are buying the player can't afford him, um, usually for financial fair play reasons, uh, in the summer or, or in the January in which they're doing the deal. So the deal is structured as a loan with a obligatory option to buy. Um, which is what Paris Saint-Germain did. They, they had a, a big financial fair play issue because UEFA, after they'd uh, signed Neymar, got complaints from Barcelona and other clubs that uh, PSG shouldn't be able to do a deal of that magnitude. And, and for them to then go and take Mbappe, who was a player that City and Real Madrid also wanted for £180 million, was ridiculous. So Paris Saint-Germain, who had a deal in place with Monaco at that price, had to scramble around to restructure it in a fashion that the, the transfer fee or even that amortised amount of the transfer fee didn't go on the books that summer. So it was done as a loan for one year with uh, an obligatory option to buy the next year, which effectively put Mbappé on uh, the first tranche of Mbappé's transfer fee on the following season's um, FFP books. Um, and on top of that, you've got the category of loans, which are... The, the sort of Chelsea um, academy loans or Chelsea uh, buy a player to develop loans where where you... That sounds you like a mortgage, have, Duncan. Well, in Chelsea's case, it's quite often a financial transaction because they are, they are acting like a football club supermarket, buying up talent uh, because they have the, the resources to do it from top clubs in Europe who don't have the money uh, to keep the players, offering those players big wages, not actually putting them in Chelsea's team, but then loaning them uh, to another club and taking a loan fee while they're at that other club, expecting the player to improve and, and increase in value during his time on loan with the idea that they either um, take him into their own squad once he's proved his worth, but more often just sell him at a profit uh, down the line and they've done that on on numerous occasions they've, they've developed a very successful strategy which has helped them uh, again uh, battle with FFP and kept them competitive uh, domestically and uh, and internationally so the loan market can be used in, in lots of different ways and it's um, I think that's that's where the, the listener's question comes from you get kind of bizarre outcomes because clubs are are using it strategically to, to meet rules or to um, plan for the future or to uh, get money through at a certain time rather than just thinking about making a, a straightforward profit in the in the current market. We should say as well that um, the U-turn in Chelsea's loan policy has been dramatic. This is the club who effectively wrote the blueprint of how not to loan players out um, when they made some <clears throat> very big signs on very big wages. Uh, two that spring to mind, strikers uh, Andrei Shevchenko and Fernando Torres. The Chelsea actually paid a high percentage of their wages at Chelsea just to get them out of the club <clears throat> and loan them to um, other European clubs. But of course, the classic example was one great Juan Sebastian Veron, whom they were sold that pup from Manchester United. And uh, they then paid his entire salary for the next four years of his contract after one season at Chelsea. And he won more titles being paid by Chelsea for other clubs than he did <laughs> for Chelsea. So uh, <coughs> congratulations to Chelsea for turning that one around. Now, Duncan, have you got a question for me from Derek Halsbach? I have, I have. Um, Derek says, let's have fun this week. 
What is your most uncomfortable interview or press conference you've ever been part of? Um, an interview or press conference where you truly wanted to get the heck out of there? Well, I'm going to turn this around a little bit, Derek. Um, and thank you for your question. We know you're a good friend of the podcast. Um, this was actually a player interviewing me or in, in sort of more precise detail, interrogating me. I'll try and give you the summarised version. Ajax versus Arsenal, Champions League some years ago. Nil-nil, Thierry Henry failed to score, I think, for the fourth Champions League game in a row. Very frustrated. A good friend of mine, Danny Fulbrook, asked him a question in the mix zone. Uh, Henry's response was, don't ask stupid questions. That's my best impersonation. Uh, anyway, when we got on the plane, uh, and of course we shared the plane with the players, so you do what's called the walk of shame when the, when the club hasn't won, so you've got to go through business class section to the uh, cattle class at the back. Uh, I got on the plane and there was Henri uh, Vieira and Sylvain Viltard sitting right in front of me. And I couldn't resist having a little dig at Thierry. So I turned around to my friend Danny as he walked past and said, remember, Danny, don't ask stupid questions. So I got the back of the, the plane to my seat. Uh, must be some good, good 30 metres away from uh, where the players are. Put my seatbelt on when suddenly the Arsenal press officer comes up to me looking very pale and said, Ian, Thierry wants to speak to you. Now, I think she's winding me up. So I say, you tell Thierry if he wants to speak to me. He comes up here and speaks to me, thinking nothing's going to happen. Anyway, plane starts to taxi out uh, on the runway. And all of a sudden, I see one six-foot-four French international striker running up the aisle towards me. And I thought, uh-oh, there's going to be trouble. So he starts berating me. You didn't show me any respect. You shouldn't try to take the mickey out of me like that in front of my teammates, blah, blah. And I said, Thierry, look. Come on, it was just a joke, you know, just let it go, let it go. Anyway, at this point, the steward comes up to Thierry and says, sir, we're about to take off. Are you go back to your seat or you strap in here? And to my absolute horror, he sat down beside me and put his seatbelt on. And for the next 17 minutes, which were probably the longest of my life during the ascent uh, before they turned the seatbelt, Thierry and I went head to head. While all the other journalists around about us were either had their head in their hands or were laughing their heads off. Uh, I must give credit to Thierry. Uh, he listened to me. I think he was quite surprised I stood up to him. And by the end, uh, when he took his sample off, we shook hands. And we had a very good relationship after that, actually. But um, there you go. That was a very, very uncomfortable few minutes on a plane. <laughs> I don't think we're going to take Duncan up on this. I, don't, I think Duncan's uh, feeling a bit fatigued with us for this week. But I'm sure we'll get one of those kind of stories out of him soon. Adrian Mutu last week. That's, uh, that's I got Adrian, exactly. Exactly. I've got loads of those stories. Don't worry. You, you'll hear them all the end. <laughs> Now, on Monday, you people, you remember we uh, we were talking about bad boys, uh, like we were talking about Pogba making, uh, you know, a, a lot of trouble in the dressing room for various managers, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we did ask you to provide a bad boys 11 just for a little bit of fun. And I'm pleased to say that Ryan Evans has come up with an absolute corker. He's gone Rainy Hugita as goalkeeper, a back three of John Terry, Sergio Ramos and Marco Materazzi. Then a midfield... Uh, uh, four of us, this will be Joey Barton, Eric Cantona, Roy Keane, and Neymar. And up front, he's got Luis Suarez, Mario Balotelli, and Diego Armando Maradona. Nice one, Ryan. Uh, if we had a, a mug to send you, we would send you, I can assure you. And if we do get one in the future, please remind us. I should say he's also got subs in there of El Hajjouf, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, and Danny Alves. I'm not sure where Danny Alves comes from. Maybe you can tell us. John Terry, the captain, obviously. John Terry, captain of the Bad Boys 11. Now it is Wednesday, so it is time for the infamous Donkey Awards, where you do actually get an award. Sorry about that, uh, Ryan. And uh, this week, uh, we were, uh, we're going to reply to the hot news, of course, that um, the former president of UEFA, Michel Platini, has been arrested uh, in Paris, where he is facing uh, charges of alleged corruption uh, during his time at UEFA and in relation to the awarding of the 2022 World Cup to Qatar. So we're going to ask the question of the donkeys this week. It's the Michel Platini Award for greed in football that backfired on you. So I think this could be an interesting one, Duncan. Let me just open the golden envelope here and I shall give you the nominations and please give us your winner. So we're going to start with uh, the man who put it all uh, on red having left the Reds, and that is Alexis Sanchez. 
moving from a very comfortable home and successful career at Arsenal to Manchester United for, of course, that astro- astronomical salary, around £450,000 a week, and uh, nowhere to walk his dogs. Second is uh, <clears throat> the transfer of Robinho. Remember Robinho, the Brazil international at Real Madrid, who gave a press conference at around 11pm Madrid time on the eve of the transfer uh, window closing, in tears, begging Madrid to let him go in very Sydney divine fashion. Um, eventually, someone did come in and pay the 40, I think it was 40 million pounds uh, price tag at the time. Uh, the story goes that his agent, Wagner Ribeiro, was woken from his bed by the fax machine going uh, somewhere in Brazil, where he was asked to sign the documentation and earn 7 million euros for getting up out of his bed for five minutes. Unfortunately, of course, Rubinho was told he was going to Manchester. He thought it was United, but it was City, and that surprised him. Last, but of course not least, the great man himself, Neymar, moved from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain, and we've all seen what's happened since then. Duncan, can you please award the Michel Plassini trophy for greed in football that backfired on you? Um, I think if it was up to Atom and Humber, uh, Alexis, her dogs, <laughs> it, it would go to their owner who has been blaming his agent for uh, for taking the money at Manchester United, interestingly enough. Uh, Jobinho is uh, a classic one, um, one of the, the great uh, the great post-transfer uh, recollections that uh, he didn't realise he was going to Man- uh, Manchester City. He didn't even know who Manchester City were uh, when his agent convinced him to sign that deal. But I think it has to be um, given the circumstances. Uh, Neymar, who uh, who did go to Paris for uh, very, very large amounts of money and, uh, and has spent almost every day since uh, trying to get himself out of there and uh, still trying to do so this summer and has finally convinced Qatar that he should be sold but will he find a buyer? We wait and see through this transfer window. Fantastic. Another great Donkeys Award this week. And remember, if you do have suggestions for a Donkeys, we're open to suggestions because you wouldn't believe the amount of time we scratch our heads <laughs> trying to come up with decent ones every week. So if you want to do our work for us, then please feel free. Just send them to the usual... Twitter accounts. And in saying that, of course, uh, you can continue the debate with us. You can go to at Transfer Podcast uh, and uh, continue the debate there. You can do it personally with Duncan at Duncan Castles and with me at Garbo SJ. If you like what you've heard today, or indeed any time on the Transfer Window Podcast, please do us a favour, give something back, get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. And this helps us enlarge the community. We will be back <clears throat> on Friday uh, with to fulfil all your podcasting needs with uh, more breaking news and analysis and insight. I'm sure things will be moving on quite quickly by then. For now, we'll see you through the transfer window. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.